What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 4040 Vision Podcast, the ultimate sports history pod where hindsight is 4040. We're so excited to bring you today's episode, but before we jump in, here's a quick word from one of our sponsors. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 4040 Vision Podcast. I'm your host, Colette Abdallah, and today I have a special guest with me, Joey Lamaster from foxesoflester.com. How's everything going today, Joey? Uh, it's been a great day so far. Crummy weather, but I've been so excited for this podcast. I, I haven't been able to notice it too much. <laughs> cool, man. Well, I appreciate you accepting my invite. So today's topic, as you you probably guessed from the title of the podcast, is how did Leicester City get relegated? So I want to start with some of the good stuff. Let's go back, what is it, seven years now yeah. and talk about the the title year so let's talk about 2016 how did it feel going through that you know because obviously from the outside looking in it seemed like an incredible experience but for you as a Leicester fan what was that season like for you yeah this is absolutely the perfect time to reminisce on the good times it's kind of like you know you peaked in high school and you want to like remember those good old days that's what we're gonna do right now talk about 2015 2016 Leicester City does the unthinkable heading the season winning the Premier League the betting odds 5001 you were more likely to be hit by lightning than this team was to win a title and you know we have Claudio Ranieri coming in and the team just survived relegation the season before, so it doesn't seem like there's any shot of this being pulled off. They go over to France, like, you know what, we're going to sign this guy. He goes by the name of Nicola Conte. Hopefully he can help us out. And then before you know it, Jamie Vardy scoring 13 goals in 11 straight games to break the Premier League record. Riyad Mahrez is having an unreal season, getting 17 goals and 11 assists. Wes Morgan, Casper Schmeichel being unreal leaders for the team, and at the end of the day, they left the promised land. I still remember being at my dad's house when Chelsea beat Tottenham to secure the title for us. It was unreal feelings. Like it's something I it's really hard to do in today's age, especially with how good Manchester City is. But it's something I want every mid-tier team to be able to witness with for their fans. Like we saw how West Ham was after they won the Europa Conference League, like that excitement. I hope everybody could feel the excitement I felt during that season. It was it's it's really hard to put it into terms. I mean, you mentioned the five thousand to one betting odds. I don't know if I've ever seen that at any level of professional sports. <laughs> no. I mean, at least not 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 in the U.S. Just because there isn't this massive gulf in finances and things like that. Obviously, we don't have relegation here, so you're talking about at least in the U.S. I don't know if that's ever happened. I, I'll have to look this up because I'm really curious. But just it was definitely. We can say probably with like a 95% degree of certainty, this is like the biggest Cinderella story yeah, in the history of sports. Because, yeah, you know, you got Leicester. Yeah. yeah, if you look at the yeah, Miami Heat, for example, they were like 100 to 1 to make it to the finals. And Leicester was 5,000 to 1 to make it this far. So if that puts anything in perspective on how unreal of a moment this was for not just Leicester fans, but every football fan in general to witness something as insane as this. Like, I think you can make an argument yeah, the- that everybody was a Leicester fan at some point. Oh, absolutely. Especially as a Chelsea fan that season. I mean, I feel like they kind of took over the role of of the Chelsea title teams in the past. Like they had that string of maybe five or six one nil wins to really lock up the title. They were solid defensively. They had that killer striker. You kind of put Jamie Vardy in the in the Drogba role and uh, Conte in the Makaleli role and so on and so forth. And that, that so it was almost like, I mean, obviously Chelsea, I think, finished 12th or 13th that year. But Everyone, especially because you guys are going up against Tottenham, and that's probably one of the 
least popular teams <laughs> for, for the neutrals. Um, so that, that added a layer to it. But the other, so, I mean, since then, I think Leicester has, one thing that I think I thought, a lot of people thought was that was going to be a one-off. They oh. were going to win that title. Maybe like the Bolton teams in the mid-90s, they would fade off into obscurity. But since then, they've done really well. They've been some of the better, one of the better teams in the Premier League. So, you know, what what drove that change from, you know, like you said, barely surviving relegation in 2014 to being a perennial, like, top five, top ten team in the league? Well, the first thing that happened was fantastic recruiting. As you said, we had talents like Mares, Vardy, and Conte already. And then we're suddenly we're bringing in the likes of Tielemans. We're bringing in the likes of Mares. We're bringing in Wesley Fofana. It's just recruiting was fantastic. I kind of see a little Brighton-esque as if we want to do like a comparison. We're like, we're getting these guys. They don't have big transfer values and all this, but they're underrated talents. And they just come in and they balled out. And that was able to lead us to success. And something which I think we'll talk about a little bit later, which is what went wrong with Leicester, is just we had unreal leaders on that team, man. Like, there, if there was ever a moment where we got a skid, we had true leaders to get us out of that hole. So that's what helped get us that European and FA Cup success. The FA Cup success, that was, what, 2020? And then I believe you guys both got to the semis or the quarterfinals in both the Europa League and the Champions League. So... This was like the golden era, right, of, of Leicester City. So do you think it's that maybe the – not? I don't want to say the downfall because things have gone well since, but what do you think the impact of the death of, of owner and chairman uh, Vishai – I don't want to butcher his last name, but the, the chairman uh, when he passed away in that tragic helicopter accident, how do you think that impacted the team and the, the future success? Yeah, um, this is hard to say because – what Kuhn did for us, Vakai, was unreal. He led us to, with the great signings, getting the team together, surviving relegation, and bringing us Premier League success. But then his son took over, and unfortunately, I think this is when things start going downhill. The first thing he does is get a hundred million pound training facility, and right when he gets that submitted, COVID happens. We lose a hundred million like it's nothing. And now with us getting relegated again, we lost a hundred million in value. Like it was nothing. It's just ever since his son took over, which just we've lost so much money and signings have been nowhere near the quality they needed to be. And when we needed a true leader, whether it came to management or players, he just failed to give us the resources we needed. So the death of our true owner, Vakai, it hurt, absolutely hurt so much. And, he will forever be remembered the success he gave us, and I hope we can get back to the Premier League so his legacy can continue. Yeah, that was it. Was one of the most insane sports stories uh, of this, you know, past decade. Just if those of you who don't know, uh, the Leicester City owner and chairman passed away in a helicopter accident uh, as his helicopter was leaving uh, the stadium, and there was some kind of malfunction, and he ended up passing away. I believe him and a couple family members as well. So. Uh, may he rest in peace. But like I think you brought up a couple points that we want to touch on uh, that led to eventually their relegation. So the past few years, uh, I don't want to say the signs were there because they really weren't. I think you guys finished, was it like eighth, fifth, mm-hmm. uh, fifth a couple times. So it wasn't like there were signs of the rot, but it seemed like before the season, uh, Brendan Rogers started to see, he got to read the tea leaves a little bit and got a little concerned. So what did you think about his preseason comments where he, he set the bar? He said, our goal is 40 points, which is kind of a crazy thing to say coming into the season. Yeah, 
absolutely. Like, I was going through my Twitter when we got relegated, and I remember seeing towards the end of last season, I was like, oh, Rodgers start, may start to be his time to go. And then when he said that 40-point comment, I knew that was a nail in the coffin. I was like, oh, yeah, this team, it's in a crisis, and Brendan Rodgers is giving us the mentality of we're in a crisis rather than we're a team that can succeed. And his prolonged staying, I believe, is what hurt us in the ending because I'm looking at teams like I remember Wolves and Aston Villa. They were in the relegation battle towards the start of the season. They sacked their managers. Wolves survive. And Aston Villa, they even get European status. Like, And then who else am I forgetting? One more. One more. It was oh Everton. Yeah, duh. they sacked Frank Lampard in January and bring in Sam, Sam Dyche. And suddenly they're surviving relegation on the last day. So it was. Lester with their big mistake being with Brendan Rodgers, who had zero mentality at all, and just giving Dean Smith eight games to work with. I believe that was one of the big flaws on why we saw relegation. So why why didn't they fire Brendan Rodgers sooner? What uh, what led to him sticking around to like you said till thirty games in the season when you guys were pretty deep into the relegation battle already? Yeah, I'm, it's not too far back, but I just want to stay in the nostalgia and the friendship he had with management. Because, like, Brendan Rodgers, he lost to an FA Cup win. He got a couple top five finishes. And it's like, oh, he did this for us. This is a guy we still have to believe in. We can't give him a short run. He can get us out of it. But with him being such close friends with the management, they kept seeing that what happened from the past. Like, oh, we can be back. We'll be back. You don't got to worry about this. And, unfortunately, in the game of, fo- like, in the game of football, management or coaches, they don't last as long as they do in other leagues. And so at some point, you got to be ready to move on. It's just we were not ready to do that, and that is what hurt us majorly. I think part of it is also he's he's a big name, right? I mean, in the past success, it makes sense that they probably give him a little bit of a longer leash, give him a little bit more rope. But I, I, I would agree that I think the they probably would not or should not have fired him, obviously, in the beginning of the season or preseason, even though he had a negative mentality. But I think there was a window – perhaps before the World Cup, where they could have let him go. I think you guys were already in the relegation zone before the World Cup, and that would have given the team you know, adequate time to find a good replacement and be able to instill whatever new playing style. Because I think one of the criticisms was with only those eight games that Dean Smith had, it just wasn't enough time for him to make the necessary changes that he wanted to make. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Eight games isn't enough for anybody. And with the time range that we had, like normally when you're in 13th, like, oh, I don't really got to worry about relegation. No, we're doing fine. But when we're in 13th, we're only one point above relegation zone. I don't think we realized how serious of a battle we were in at the time. And yeah, it just it led to our downfall thinking we were okay when we were not. Because that's the mentality you had this season. Like, yeah, we're in a struggle, but we're going to be okay. We have so much talent on this team. We have nothing to worry about. We have a big name manager. And as we can see where it led to today, that was just not the right mentality to have with this team at all. I think you guys and, and Everton had a very similar attitude to things. They just happened to survive, but it was both like, we're a big name club. You mean Everton for a long time, were a top six, top seven club. Uh, they had high expectations and it, it almost seemed like, uh, like that, that was the documentary too big to fail type yeah. thing where it was like, no, we're Leicester city. We, we can't get relegated. It's impossible yeah. until it isn't, you know what I mean? So uh, one thing that you talked about was, the recruitment and the incredible like hidden gems you guys were able to find. I think Jamie Vardy is a Lester lifer, but guys like Conte, Wes Morgan, Mares, even like lesser known guys, Danny Drinkwater, et cetera, that were huge parts of the success uh, from 2016 on. 
and again, some of the other guys you mentioned, Fofana, Tielemans, et cetera. So what what changed? What, why weren't you guys able to replicate that same success in recent years? What happened? Was it the death of the owner? Was it something else? Uh, I just have to be brutally honest. It's just our failure to bring in good talents. I look at the past two seasons of our signings. I think you can well not make an argument. I think it's 100% honest that we had the two worst transfer windows out of any Premier League club. If we look at 21-22, Let's look at the guys we bring in. We brought in Pats and Daka. Can't get starting minutes over Vardy. We bring in Babakori Samori. Very inconsistent in and out of the rotation. Yannick Vestergaard. Does he ever play? Ryan Bertrand. He, does he ever play? And then we loan in Adamola Lookman, who had a really good season, and we had the chance to buy him back for $15 million, but we let him go back to Atalanta, and he has a fantastic season in this area. And then we go to 2022-2023. Our only summer signing, Wout Vass. Very underwhelming season, got a lot of garbage from around the Premier League after the Liverpool game where he scored two own goals. Very inconsistent. We bring in Tete. Oh my God, I thought he was the best signing in the world after Aston Villa. We never hear from after that game. We bring in Harry Sitar. He gets benched for Sayonku. And then we bring in Victor Christensen. He gets benched for Luke Thomas. And Luke Thomas is not a good football player. And so at the end of the day, we just had two terrible transfer windows. Like, there's not one signing I can look at him like, yeah, that was a success. That was a great signing for Leicester. So while everybody spent the past two years getting better, we just plateaued and maintained. And in today's game, with how much money goes in the transfers, you can't plateau. You got to keep getting better. And ultimately, I think that's what stabbed Leicester in the heart was just very terrible transfer decisions. Now, I don't know if that comes down to scouting, if that comes down to management, if that comes down to the top himself. But it's just that was the biggest issue that happened to Leicester City. And were there any key players that you lost as well? I think we could, we could save the Schmeichel talk for a little bit because I think that's part of the leadership conversation that I wanted to have. But were there any big uh, outgoing signings or outgoing transfers that you think really hurt the team and, and uh, led to this relegation? The biggest one I can say is Leslie Fofana. We bring him in for $30 million and then he becomes the most expensive Premier League center back in the history of the sport. And so with $80 million, you hope to put that into a good replacement. But with how much in debt we're in for the training ground, we can't. So I think that was the big name we failed to replace. But I can't say that we lost a ton of talent. You know, We still had Tielemans, we still had Madison, still had Barnes, Vardy, you name it. But... Outside of him and, of course, Michael, which we'll talk about later, because we had to watch Danny Ward play football for half a season. And I would not ever wish that on my worst enemy. I hope no one ever has to deal with something like that. And just if you lose your star defender and your star goalkeeper without replacing them, you're already down 9-11 before the game even starts. And that's what we witnessed with Leicester at the start of the season, because it was bad how many goals we were allowing. That's that's something else I wanted to touch on was the the defensive record. I think it was something between Christmas and the last game of the season where you didn't keep a clean sheet. Am I is that is that right or did I over no, overstate that, that? That is correct. Our last clean sheet I want to say was against West Ham, and it was two or three games before the World Cup started. So that's way back in early early December. Yeah, <laughs> so even before inex- Christmas, yeah, inexcusable. Yeah, and that's obviously the the reason why. Um, you eventually got relegated, but so you, you mentioned Jamie Vardy. Mm-hmm. So I, I think one thing that I'm, I, I point to is that there may have been an over-reliance on Jamie Vardy and the, the lack of finding a true replacement. I mean, you look at his, his stats. I mean, he was still pretty good maybe two, three years ago, but you see the goals steadily decline. I think he's 37 now. 
So do you think that that was part of it? was not finding a true replacement for him? Um, I think we had a valid option that would... I love Ianacho with every bit of my heart because I believe Lester played his best football with him because Jamie Vardy's biggest issue... I do too. I'm a big fan of his, yeah. The only thing Vardy was good at is getting the ball in the back of the net. If you didn't give him a through ball that wasn't in front of goal, Vardy was kind of useless this season. As much as I love him, wearing his kit right now. But if Vardy did not have the ball in front of goal, it wasn't going in. He wasn't giving you link-up play. And he was just... He would kind of be a ghost in some scenarios, but when Ian Nacho would come into the game, he had some of the best link-up players, strikers in the Premier League, and it's just the ball would be moving. We had a lot more going on for us, and Ian Nacho, he had like five goals and four assists this season, I believe, but it's more than outside of those stats. Like He was creating openings and opportunities that we needed. It's just not everything got finished, so I think we missed having a striker like that towards the end of the season or towards the past couple of seasons, I should say, but yeah, we definitely over-relied on Vardy too much. Like, being a Premier League striker at the ages from 35 to 37, it's not easy with this type of league. And it's just, yeah, we relied on him too much, even though he started to show up towards the end of the season. He kind of looked like the only player who had passion out there and didn't want us to get relegated, but we over-relied on Jamie Vardy. So what is it about Iheanacho that he's not seen as a, a week-to-week striker, a starter? Because I love him. I, I've always <laughs> thought he was quality. I thought he was a great I mean, maybe because he's mostly a super sub, but what is it about him that, that's kept him out of the lineup like this? Yeah, um, that's a really good question, and I unfortunately will never have an answer for it. Because if you look at his FA Cup run, he is the reason we won the FA Cup. We had two games of 1-0 towards the end, and he scored both goals. He was the second leading scorer in the tournament, and I think he was up there for assists as well. I don't remember what his exact ranking was. But he won us an FA Cup himself when we needed a striker to get in there and give us the big moments this season. It was Ian Nacho. I will never understand why he wasn't the player starting. I just, I'm not sure if there's maybe he was lazy in practice or something like that because, you know, we can't see those type of things. But when we needed a striker to rely on, Ian Nacho showed up. So I actually have no answer for why he wasn't our week-to-week starter. Yeah, maybe it's the same reason that they didn't fire Brendan Rodgers is because they have that history with, with Vardy and the incredible seasons he's had. I think it's it's hard to replace uh, like an all-time great in the team. It's hard to make that that move, especially if he's still pretty decent. But, you know, when guys get up there in age, it's it's hard to produce on a weekly basis. So I think maybe that's part of it. What do you think? Yeah, so the issue that I saw is with the striker position, it's the one where age is just going to simply catch up to you the most. Like, it's hard to run back and forth at such an older age. Like, I believe it's positions in the Premier League, like at center back or goalkeeper, where you can see these older players last as long, such as like Thiago Silva or Tim Ream, like where they're still playing at a pretty high level. But when it comes to being a striker and you got to be pacey, you got to get past all these defenders and midfielders and run for 90 minutes, it's just not that easy. Unfortunately, I believe age was catching up to Jamie Vardy, and that's something we witnessed with our own eyes. Yeah, and I think uh, another I mean, we could talk about age and aging stars and the curious decision to let Casper Schmeichel leave in the summer. Uh, you know, they didn't move fast enough on Brendan Rodgers. They, they kept Jamie Vardy around. So what was the rationale behind letting your talismanic goalkeeper and your legendary goalkeeper leave on a free transfer. Yeah, uh, so one issue is just kind of in the hole we were in with just needing to pay for stadiums. Uh, we didn't want to give Schmeichel the fat contract, which I disagree with. That's just the mentality of management. And for some reason, 
Brendan Rodgers has had such a strong belief in Danny Ward. was like, oh, if we lose Michael on a free, we're not going to lose any quality, which is such an outrageous statement to say at this point now. But I don't know. Brent, Danny Ward was really impressing and just unfortunately <laughs> didn't impress during the season. So obviously the impact on the field was felt pretty quickly with the, the drop-off between Casper Schmeichel in terms of the actual play and the quality from the goalkeeper. So what about the leadership aspect? You brought that up as well, that you used to have great leadership on the field with Wes Morgan and Schmeichel, et cetera, et cetera. So who was kind of called on to fill that void and who wasn't able to fill that void? Well, I believe our options were Yori Tielemans and James Madison. They're our two best players. They were here during our success in the FA Cup, and they're top quality players. But you can just kind of tell towards the season, it's like, uh, I'm just going to leave, man. This isn't worth it. I don't care anymore. And when you're in that type of situation, you got to fight for your team. Like, listen, we have way too much quality to be in this position. We got to keep fighting. We know we're better than these guys. And unfortunately, our stars, they're just like, all right, I'm just ready to leave. I want the season to end. And so when we relied on them, they didn't give us the leadership we needed. And that was such a massive hold, not having a true leader on the team. Very underrated aspect of the sport. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can. And the thing is, what I think a lot of people may assume is that your best player is automatically going to be your captain and your leader. And they're going to be the ones that are the galvanizing force behind the team. But I think in a lot of cases, it's not really the case because it's it's usually the most senior guy or someone that has a real deep connection to the club because, you know, it's it's hit or miss, right? You can make a signing and a guy cannot really care about the club. It's just, you know, a job or he might see it as a stepping stone. And then there's other guys that you might bring in like Schmeichel, like Vardy that are going to be, you know, loyal to the club, to the core. And of course that's going to affect their, their leadership ability. So is, were there any other factors that you could point to that, that caused relegation? I mean, we've covered the leaky defense, covered lack of leadership, uh, Brendan Rogers, poor performance from new signings. Is there anything else that you can, you can think of? Um, it's something I could blame on Rodgers and a little bit of Dean Smith, even though he didn't have enough time. It's just tactics sucked. Like I remember against Arsenal, our expected goal was actually 0.00. That's the first time it's ever happened in Premier League history. That's inexcusable. Or you didn't even have a threat again, a shot on target. And there's so many times our midfielders would be too far up. Our defensive line would be too open, leading to easy goals and easy counterattacks. And I think tactics weren't there with a team as weak defensively as we was. We need as much help defensively as possible, and neither managers really seem to appear to care about that. I saw Dean Smith in his first game when he played a five back, and I just I believe with us not being able to replace our defenders, we need to get as much defensive help as possible. And as you can see by all the score lines, we did not do that. Like we let Fulham score five, Tottenham scored six. You can go on and on on teams getting a high amount of goals against us this season. And if you're gonna allow teams to score that much, you're gonna be in a relegation battle no matter what. If you're scoring three goals mm-hmm. and still losing by two to three, there's a problem. There's a very big problem. Was there a sense of arrogance? I mean, we talked about it like, oh, we're Leicester City, we're too big to fail. But was there a sense of arrogance when it came to the tactics? Like, no, we can we can play with these guys because I feel like Everton and a lot of and Leeds later in the season, they decided, all right, we're going to hunker down. We're going to play the most defensive type of football. We're going to try to grind out points and win on set pieces. Do you think when it came to Leicester, it's like, we have too much talent to do that? We have too much attacking talent to sit back and, and just do that? Oh, absolutely. It's the 
big names and it's the nostalgia. It's like, listen, we scored goals for fun in the past. Look, we have Jamie Vardy, we have James Madison, we have Tielemans, we have Harvey Barnes. Like, we have so much attacking talent. We can't afford to sit back or else they're not going to get in position. So when we keep playing this counterattack football and our star players aren't performing, we're just stuck with a weak defensive back line. So their star power is not even showing as much, and that's something we've witnessed this season. Yeah, so I think we've covered all the reasons. A little bit of arrogance, probably the chief cause, among some other things. So let's let's talk about how can they get back to the Premier League. Uh, we've seen a lot of teams bounce back. I think Fulham they dropped up, they dropped down last season, came right back up. Burnley is on their way back to the Premier League after getting relegated. So what is it? Maybe the top two or three things that you think they need to do to get back to the Premier League. I believe the first step is finding a manager. You can sign whatever player you want, but if you can't build a team with tactics, it's not going to work. Like what Burnley did. They brought in Vincent Company, and now he's already getting looked at all over the place as a top manager candidate. What he's done with that Burnley squad from taking him to Brexit ball to sensational football, it's unreal. So first thing Les needs to do is find a manager they can believe in that can lead the team. I'm not sure who that is. Apparently our leading candidate at the moment is Scott Parker, who's had great championship success but hasn't had that Premier League success yet. So we'll see where that goes. And then it's about being smart with our money. We're going to make a lot of transfers this summer with selling players, and we still have a little bit of a hole trying to get out of that $100 million, So we must be smart with our money. we got to have a brightened sense of recruiting where we got to find these smaller players who are willing to come to the championship and succeed because we don't have that Premier League pull anymore. You know, We're not going to be able to make those signings. So we have to make smart signings with our money. And the last thing we need to do is have a great change in mentality because if we're going in this season like, oh, we're Leicester City, we can't, there's no way we won't get promoted, we're better than the rest of these teams. We saw that mentality last season when it came like, oh, we're too big of a team, we can't get relegated. So this team, whoever stays and whoever we bring in, their mentality shift, like, listen, this isn't the Leicester team we once knew who's winning the Premier League, winning the FA Cup, almost making it to the Europa Conference League finals, like, it needs a big mentality shift. I think it's a come down from our management to make sure that we're not these egotistical kings and we know the situation we're finally in. So let's let's start again with uh, let's talk about the manager. So Dean Smith was the interim manager to end the season. He had some success recently in the championship. He got uh, Aston Villa promoted, I believe, through the playoff. So you don't feel that he can do the job with Leicester? You think that they'll need to go for an outside candidate? Um, I'm still 50-50. It's just it's so tough when you only have eight games to see him. It's just... With him having the failed goal, I'm not sure if he can come back. But as you said, he's had that championship success, and he looks solid in the Premier League. So he's definitely someone we could bring back. But I know we're also looking at Scott Parker. Um, who I forgot who else we're looking at. But I believe it's a two-way race between the both of them. And honestly, I would be happy with both choices. I think Dean Smith, he had moments of promise. We just didn't give him enough time to show it. But if he's going to give you the mentality we had a last season of we're too good, it may need, might not be the right guy. Because I know Scott Parker, he's coming in with this underdog mentality, which would truly give the team the lift it needs mentally. And Parker was behind, I think, two of the Fulham promotion campaigns, or at least one of them. So he has that same experience of building a, a competent, talented side. And I think a, a fun side to watch, I think, Fulham – they weren't probably as exciting in the Premier League, but in that you know their last few championship campaigns, I want to say they ran away with yeah. with the title and with promotion. So the other thing is is the player 
maybe maybe not so much recruitment because who knows what's going to happen in the transfer window, but some of the outgoing transfers, who are some of the guys that you think played their last game for, for Leicester at the end of the season? Oh, this is a long list, unfortunately. Um, we're looking at the obvious Madison. He's going to go to Tottenham or he's going to go to United or he's going to go to Newcastle. Harvey Barnes is likely to leave. Yori Tielemans has already been confirmed to leave. And then even the smaller players you wouldn't think have like such big Premier League or top five league pole are looking to leave. Like Castagna, he's been rumored to Arsenal and Syria. Luke Thomas is apparently rumored to Nottingham Forest, and I will lose all respect for that guy if he pulls off that move. And Ian Nacho is having Syria pull. And it's just like, yeah, like there's so many guys who can be out of here. Like I think this team we're going to see next season is a whole new lineup. Like it's going to be hard to find some names that, that stay outside of like Dewsbury Hall. Unfortunately, yeah, that's that's just one of the consequences of being relegated is you have a ton of players that, that want to leave just because they don't want to be in a second-tier league. They might have a, a clause in their contracts where they're going to be losing wages, et cetera. And then, of course, all these teams are going to try and take advantage of that by signing some of your best players. So I guess we have a roadmap, right? Find the right manager, find the right players, offload, trim that wage bill, and then the mentality. I think, like you said, the mentality is probably the most important thing because – we've seen big clubs drop to the third division. It's not unheard of, or we've seen bigger clubs kind of get stuck in the championship and then be there for three, four, five, ten 10 years. Hopefully that's, that's not the case, but so what's next for, for Lester? What do you think, you know, in your heart of hearts, how do you see next year going? How are you going to follow them? Uh, you know, in the championship, I know it's a little bit harder obviously than watching them in the premier league. So how do you plan to watch them? And, and what do you think is next for them the next so, season? I'm hoping there's going to be as many games possible on ESPN Plus because I'm not trying to get that prison sentence for illegally streaming championship football. I'd rather go to jail for something cooler if it's going to happen that way. But how I see Leicester going next season, I know everyone's thinking we're getting promoted right away, but I think we're going to be in a little bit of a Chelsea-type situation in the championship where we're going to have like 15-something new players and the team's going to need to blend together. So I think we will be in the playoffs next season. I don't think it will work. But I believe the following season we'll be back to the Premier League. It's just it's hard bringing in so many new players than just to click like that. And it's just that's the situation Leicester City is going to be in whether they want to or not. Because as we were just talking about, so many players are going to be leaving. It's like we're not going to see the same team we had next year. So I'm going to give them some time to blend. I'm not going to get overconfident and say we're going to, we're going to be the one team we're going to get promoted right away. It's just we're going to have a lot going against us because I look at the teams like Leeds and Southampton. We got relegated. I don't think there's a lot of big star power names on that that are going to be demanding moves. Yeah, there'll be a couple, but it's not going to be everybody. So, like, they're going to have their strong core together. So, I think Leicester, they have some battles going against them. But I do believe this team will have success in the future. I don't believe we'll be in the championship for too long. I mean, there's the benefit, right, of the the additional games in the championship. I think they played 46 games, so it's a little bit of a longer season to be able to stack up the points. But the, the point that you brought up about the other two teams that got relegated – those are, I don't want to say they're, they're not giants. I wouldn't say, I mean, Leeds was in the championship for a long time, but they they also have a bigger club mentality, I think, with new ownership. Southampton was in the Premier League for a long time. So I think they're, they're going to be pushing you guys. And, of course, whoever else is in the championship <laughs> that missed out on, uh, on promotion. So it'll be a tough battle. I'll be following them, you know, just from a you know, human interest perspective. They'll probably be on the top of my FOP mob. Uh, score uh, sheet every week just to see what's going on with them so 
where can we find your work? Are you and you're going to be covering the team, I assume, next year as well. So where can we find your work on social and, and online? All right, so um, I do a lot of live reactions to games on Twitter, so you'll find me there, Joey TM Lemaster, Joey the Master, Lee Master. I thought it was a little quirky nickname. And then all of my articles are uploaded to foxesofleicester.com. We are working with Fansided, and that is the Leicester website. We have plenty of great writers there, not including myself. But if you enjoy what I say today, you will find all of my articles up there. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you know, but I actually founded that site in, uh, in a previous life. Wait, uh, what? <laughs> yeah, I was the uh, editorial director at Fansided Soccer, and what one of man? my – one of my goals was to expand the division as much as possible. So when I first started, there was like, I think maybe eight sites, you know, the, all the ones you'd expect, or maybe not even that, maybe like four sites. I started the Chelsea one, Pride of London, but there was already Hotspur HQ, Red Devil Armada. I want to say Pain in the Arsenal, a couple other ones. But over the years, I started Foxes of Leicester. I started the Saint, uh, Southampton site, the Chelsea or the Real Madrid site, Barcelona, et cetera. So uh, it's exciting for me when I reached out to you guys to see the following that you guys have built. And it's gone from, you know, just another fan-sided site to like a real Lester hub for the fans to go. So congratulations on your on your hard work there and the following you've built. So. Thank you so much for everything you've done for us because we do have quite the platform. I think we'll have the biggest championship platform of all of the league, so I can't complain. Yeah, there you go. And hopefully you're raking in the page views and the money that comes with it, you and uh, and Thomas, your, your site expert. So thank you, Joey. Appreciate your time today, man. Please make sure to, to leave a review uh, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can find us on all social media platforms at 4040VisionPod. That's Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, etc. Make sure to follow, like, and subscribe. Thanks for your time, everybody. Thanks, Joey. Thank you. Yeah.